Well, Oregon's 2024 recruiting class is looking quite good, can still get even better, but we're going to start talking about 2025 because of that one position that matters a little bit more and a name that all Oregon fans know very well. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. Another day of Cruton, another day with Brian Smith. He's at FB Scout underscore Florida on Twitter and our insider here at the Locked On Network, Brian, it's already time to just just like like peek behind the curtain a little bit of 2025 because there's a name out there, a guy that you uh, have talked to in person that Oregon fans know very well at the quarterback position, and that's Achilles Smith Jr., a name that I think every Duck fan would would love would love love to have. Now it's a long ways away, Brian, but I remember a year ago at this time hearing Elijah Rushing's name, and we're going to talk about him later because he's reportedly committing within the next you know, week or two here. This sort of stuff can work like that. So Achilles Smith Jr., is that a name that Oregon fans should continue to, to listen for on the recruiting trail as they go to solidify their quarterback room way into the future? When I interviewed him this past weekend, uh, great kid, by the way. He was at Future 50 at IMG Academy as part of the Under Armour Camp Series. Great kid, and he just he did something rare. I asked him who his top schools were, and he actually answered me. Most kids don't do that very often. <laughs> they just they, they never want to give top schools because coaches call them and they're mad. Why why isn't my school there? But anyway, his top three are Oregon, Michigan, and Florida. He gave me that list twice in that exact same order. So plays down, I believe, at Lincoln High School in San Diego. Uh, that is a famous famous program in Southern California. A uh, certain Heisman winner that was recently the athletic director at USC went there. I'll let you figure that out for a second. But, uh, they've they've had a lot of tradition, and, and he's playing against pretty good competition. When I saw him play, it was the first time. I had seen his film, anything else. Big arm. He's 6'5", kid, like legitimately 6'5". He has all the tools you're looking for. And, I, I you know, when you hear Florida for a California kid, you're like, wow. But, you know, Florida's not going to go out to California to recruit unless there's a special reason. A, like you mentioned, it's quarterback. B, he fits what they want to do. They want to be a power football team, play action. Well, this kid fits the mold. So I like his upside, and I think he's a top 100 kid conservatively in the class of 2025. Obviously, Oregon should be favored to get him until otherwise proven. But, uh, yeah, he's backed it up. He's a really good player. Yeah, it's hard to ignore – the the legacy component there his, his father yeah <laughs> exactly and you know I, I saw the video that you that you posted uh, interviewing him when he talks about Oregon he's got kind of a different grin on his face like oh so, yeah I've been to Oregon of course like I for, for, first went there I don't know when I was probably five six years <laughs> I, I forget what he said but I'm sure he's been, been going there for a very long time but do you get the sense that the legacy component gives Oregon a leg up in this recruitment in a significant way. There's an old thing that I kind of go by. I, I think kids are a little more savvy to it now in general, but the first school you mention is usually somebody on your mind. 
And he mentioned Oregon first both times that we discussed his quote-unquote list. It can't hurt. So I think that, you know, his dad being there, I'm, I'm sure his dad wants him to make his own decision for all the right reasons. But I, I would guess in most cases like this, when you're talking about the son of a legendary player at school, that could be Oregon, could be Wisconsin, whatever. You not only have to beat that school, it's got to be measurably. Like, it's just too easy to go to Oregon because there's a comfort level there. They're winning. It's the school you probably grew up rooting for. I mean, if he's going to go to any other school other than the Ducks, they're going to have to put their best foot forward. So, yeah, I, I would be surprised if the legacy factor wasn't a big part of it. I, I think Oregon fans would would love to have him, not just because he's a great player, but because I think that's, you know, it's something. Cool. Yeah, it's exactly. Cool. Exactly. It's it's just it's cool. And it feels those sorts of, you know, legacy commitments feel different in college than they do in the pros, don't they? There, there's something about like I still explain it. It's yeah, it, it's you're, you're still kind of a kid. You're not exactly a professional athlete. I mean, we're moving towards the professionalization of the game, which, you know, that's a longer conversation, uh, as, as you and I both know very, very well. But it's it, it's just there's something different about that. You know, had Willie Taggart not left Oregon, Chase Cota probably would have ended up being a duck for, you know, his first four years instead of just his final year of, of college football. But even for that one season a year ago, it just felt Right. It's like his dad was such a big player for the Ducks. And then to have Chase, who was a good player, of course, caught the game winning touchdown in the Holiday Bowl for, for the Ducks last year. All that stuff would be good. But let's uh, shift the conversation a little bit back to 2024 and talk about one of the guys who, if Oregon were to get a commit, would be one of the players most likely protecting Achilles Smith Jr. In, right. in the long run. For, that's right. Yeah, for, for the Ducks. And, and that's Brandon Baker, five star offensive tackle, California kid. What are you hearing with him, timeline, where Oregon stands? All of it is a big mumbled mess, and it's because he's so good. It, it's for all the right reasons. Right, right. I give I give Baker credit. He went, just as an example, he took an unofficial visit earlier this year to Georgia just to get a base. I mean, he's a California kid, so if you're going to look at Georgia, you probably need to see him one one He goes for a visit officially here recently wants to see something different about the program. He's been to Ohio State. He's been all these places. He's not rushing it, though. I give him credit. Too many of these kids make dumb decisions because they, they rushed it, and they get tired of guys like me calling them and asking them questions. Turn off your phone, let it go, do whatever. Timeline has changed a little bit, depending on when you've asked or anybody's asked him, but could be late summer to early fall. But Oregon is the one school to jump into the next point. You know, what are you hearing? Oregon has been the one constant. Uh, I actually interviewed one of his teammates and a running back that's a 25 kid might be the best running back in the country. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about him soon too. He, Oregon's on his list as well. Which kid is that? They're, they're running back. I forget. Uh, got his name here. Here, just a second. They, uh, oh, Jordan Davison. He's from Jordan Davison. Okay. Yeah, he's arguably the best running back in Swat. Great kid. Oregon's in on him too. He thinks there's a good chance that Baker ends up at Oregon. But that's just, you know, a kid who's barely old enough to drive, his opinion. The thing that I found out with Baker, everybody has a different opinion about where he's going to go, which tells me Baker doesn't know. Right. <laughs> that's okay. That, that's, that's a good thing, though, because, you know, he's, he's not rushing. If he was in that spot and then I heard somebody text me, hey, Brian, he's announcing in a week, I'd get really nervous because I hate it when kids rush a decision, commit to school X, and then six weeks later, I get a text message. Eh, he's going to take over more. Just wait, man. There's no reason to commit. 
schools like Georgia usually can kind of force kids to make a decision. This kid's so good, he's got a spot. He's different than the other guys. On National Signing Day, all the offers he has now pretty much are going to be there. So Baker is in a good spot. Oregon, Georgia, Ohio State are the three I've heard. I'm surprised I haven't heard, to be honest, you and I have talked about this before, USC I haven't heard as much. It used to be they just beat the crap out of everybody with O-line recruiting in the state of California. They were O-line U in the 70s and stuff and into the 80s. It's just not quite this. And I'm, I'm really surprised with Lincoln there because their offense, I mean, let's be honest, his offense is always going to be really yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, I'm, it's pretty I'm, appealing. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a wave at some point for USC. I don't know what it is. I have not heard it yet. Maybe I'm unaware of it. But Ohio State, Georgia, and Oregon are the three I hear the most. Take it for what it's worth. And, and Baker's a modern day kid, right? Yep. Yeah, we know that that high school pretty pretty darn well. So do, so does USC. I I agree that I'm sur- I'm I'm, I'm with you in the camp of being surprised that USC is not more of a player for him. And for those who don't know, he's a five star offensive tackle, number one guy at his position in the 2024 class. And there's a reason all the heavy hitters are after him. And I I just think of the prospect of in 2024, lining up with Josh Connerly entering his third year at left tackle and Brandon Baker perhaps over there at, at right tackle. And that's that's the sort of offensive line you need to, to kick some butt. If you're going to beat Georgia names. and Ohio State and schools like that, you got to be – either you have those guys or you don't. Yep, yep. That's that, bottom line. Ab, ab, absolutely. There are a couple other guys Oregon needs to get or that I'd like to see them get at least on the defensive side of the ball who could be coming off the board soon. And they both have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five stars next to their name as well. We'll talk about them. We have to talk about FanDuel, though, because that's America's number one sports book. And you can take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just 20 bucks, and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. Maybe you thought Domingo Herman was going to throw a perfect game the other day. If you'd bet on that, you probably would have made bank, but you can't do that if you don't go check out FanDuel. America's number one sportsbook. Sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. We've got the Oregon mug today for the second segment sip. That is what we call true dedication right there. So let's get to some big name defensive players who at some point in time, one I know particularly soon, is scheduled to come off the board. Let's begin with Elijah Rushing. Mentioned him earlier in the show. Oregon's been on this recruitment for a long time. Five-star edge player out of the state of Arizona. Reportedly committing July 6th. Is that what you are hearing as well? And what have you heard on the (laughs) Oregon front? Uh, I'm always a little weary with the dates with these kids. I I had an article written the (laughs) other day for a kid. And it was time for him to commit. And I, I got a text. He's not even committing that day. Thanks for letting me know <laughs> a little earlier. <laughs> like, really? Not even that day. Like, guys, so, don't give don't give too much notice here. <laughs> like, please, please. I mean, I'm like, this is ridiculous. But teenagers will be teenagers. Um, Tennessee and Oregon are the schools that I'm hearing the most likely. Uh, the Notre Dame visit didn't go that well. The opportunity for him to stay in state and play at Arizona at some point, I think just realistically, and this is a historical perspective, he is from right down the street from U of A. Yeah, he's from Tucson. Yeah, so, I mean, like, that either works really well to your favor or horrific because it's either too close 
or it's just this is so convenient I'm taking it. It's A or B. There's not a lot of in between. I have not heard their name as of late. That doesn't mean that can't change. And it doesn't like if he hit the portal in two years, that would be my my easy yep. pick. But for now, I don't think it's U of A. So and I, to my knowledge, Arizona State was never really in play. The only thing I can tell you is Tennessee is most likely the biggest competition for the Ducks. I don't know which one it'll be, and it may not even be a situation he's decided. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a big decision. If he hasn't, so be it. I just hope once again, like I mentioned with Baker, if he's not sure, don't announce to announce. Back it up if you have to. Just don't do it two minutes before you're supposed to commit. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. That's yeah, not cool. don't 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 do that to our friend Brian. He's working very hard and diligently, and he's just trying to get some solid, accurate information and and reporting yeah. out there. That's all. We're not we're not asking for the world here. Just be a little a little consistent to make his life a little bit yeah. easier because he timely. certainly makes. Please be timely. Please <laughs> he be certainly time. makes our lives easier. So. Yeah, I, I'm interested in, in, in rushing for a number of reasons. Number one, again, thinking about the long-term prospect of Mateo on one side, rushing on the other. If Jordan Birch comes back for another year, I mean, that's that's the sort of defensive line that can give you a top defense in the Pac-12 or a top 20 defense in in the country if you have those those sorts of players. But another guy who could fit into that particular mold of being a high-level asset to your defense at the linebacker position is Justin Williams, top 20 player, I believe, nationally yeah, in, in the 2024 class. There's some buzz for Oregon there. He's got a crystal ball on 24-7. On now, those are not all-knowing, but they do have a decent hit rate, I, w- I would say. Times can change, but what is kind of the, the timing here for, for Mr. Williams? I've heard a couple of different things, and I've also, much like Baker, I've heard different schools, which makes me nervous that, that he may not know where he's going. Georgia's involved, which always makes me nervous for everybody else because they're a recruiting juggernaut for obvious reasons. Um, Oregon has been the team that's been trending up until this point for the longest, and it's just so random because for anybody that's curious, he's like from the Houston area. It's still hard for me to wrap around my head as somebody that grew up watching Oregon just recruit locally for until like, I don't know, 10 years ago, like they didn't do this. Now that now they do, they go all over. It's interesting because I still don't know if there's an A&M Texas feel LSU, like none of those schools have ever trended for him. And it's almost automatic for a Houston kid that at least one of those, or maybe Oklahoma is like the later at some point, his recruitment is very odd. So I don't want to bet, but I have heard that it could come fairly soon. I don't, I don't know if there's a date. I, I may be missing, but I don't think there's a date out there for him. Um, but Georgia is the one I would worry about the most. When, when you don't have a, a date lined up for, for a kid, how, how likely is it that he comes off the board in July during the dead period? Because I've noticed that that's kind of how you know a lot of coaches and, and, and programs like the schedule to flow for them is, hey, let's, let's get a bunch of visitors in June. Let's maximize the heck out of that. Maybe get... Uh, you know, a handful of commits here and there. But then July is when kids can come off the board because they can't take visits, right? It's a recruiting dead period. You can't be on campus. Communication is limited, but you can, you know, create buzz for your program on on the recruiting trail. And just in general, if you can get kids to commit. So do you, do you expect, and this is the last show we'll do here in, in the month of June, do you expect that July will continue to be a busy month for the Ducks? It'll be busy for everybody. 
the first week especially. Uh, a lot of kids like to announce on July 4th it's Independence Day, etc. And just to be clear, it's just math. There were four big recruiting weekends. Most of the key guys like this kid. I mean, he's, he's a dude. They've taken three or four visits, so they're pretty much done. They don't want to be bugged anymore. They want to make a decision to get it off the board before they go into their own fall camp and start their senior year of high school. So between now and the 15th, Ward only knows how many commitments there will be. And for anybody out there that's just curious in general, Oregon or not, like 247 does a thing like commitment dates and all that, that, you know, they try to schedule it through their app and all that. You can look at all these dates and it's just pages, kids that already haven't lined up. And then there's some others that we don't know. Uh, even all the guys that really try to get in tune with this, the kids just announced like tomorrow, I'm going to make my decision. There's going to be a couple of those too. And I won't have a clue. It'll be a five-star kid. That's, that's just recruiting. So next two weeks though, if Oregon doesn't get a few more commits, it would be very, very surprising. Well, we'll have to keep uh, monitoring that situation. One guy that they were after, but did not end up getting the commitment for was Ryan Pelham, who's wide receiver slash athlete can play on the other side as well four-star kid was down to usc and oregon ended up choosing usc and this is not the first time oregon has had a recruiting battle with with the trojans because of the geographical footprint that we've talked about usc right down there in southern california oregon has worked hard you know there was the whole cali flock movement during the mario cristobal era that landed guys like uh Kayvon thibodeau and justin flo amongst others and We've seen schools or we, we've seen kids come down to two schools, Oregon and USC, before. And as USC plays their final year in the Pac 12, Brian, I'm curious if you think this is going to continue to be a trend or how the California recruiting landscape kind of changes here. Because, you know, we've seen Oregon win some of these battles, we've seen Oregon not win some of these uh, recruiting battles. But how do you think the dynamic is going to continue to play out as USC goes to the Big Ten and Oregon in all likelihood remains in the Pac-12 for, for at least the short term? What do you think is going to happen there between these two schools that already have a pretty checkered and storied uh, recruiting history with one another? I think it'll be one of two boxes for each kid. It'll, it'll change with every player. Some kids are going to hate it that, big, that the Big Ten is a part of USC's future because they want their family to see them play more often. They don't have the money and the time and all that to be flying across the country. So that's one part. Oregon will benefit there. And the other is it's the kid that's just like, I'm all in, let's do something different. It will be random. Having said that, Oregon has done so well in the last, since Chip Kelly it was there and through Mario and, and now with Dan, I think they're just kind of locked in. They're just Oregon's its own brand. Like we talked off air, like, we don't know what their long-term conference situation is, and that could come into a problem at some point. But at least for now, I haven't heard any kids bring it up. At some point, they do need to have stability. Everybody knows that. Right. But right now, I mean, Oregon's one of the favorites to make it into the championship game, blah, 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 maybe go to the playoff. So they're rolling. I don't think they're really an underdog to USC anymore in L.A. for kids. It's You, you no, couldn't have convinced me that – Ten years ago, if you'd have told me that, I said I would have told you crack is bad because it's hard to get five-star, four-star kids like Baker out of L.A. It always has been. When USC really wants to get, especially like Modern Day, John Bosco, some of those, they're locked in with those. They've got USC people working the administration there. It's hard. But they I'll tell you what, nobody's recruited that area better than Oregon in the last decade. 
hats off to everybody that was and is a part of the Ducks staff for just putting in effort, man. I think that it, it's going to be a problem for USC for a long time. Yeah, and, and it obviously didn't work out here in the case of, of Ryan Pelham. And I, I do, as you know, we talked about every day, or know that uh, we discussed this yesterday a bit with Max Max Torres on, on the show talking about recruiting. I wonder if the staff right now is looking at that Tysier Denmark flip to Penn State, which which happens, not super often it happens. And if they aren't deliberately trying to chase a wide receiver to, you know, kind of recuperate that that loss. And look, I don't know that Oregon desperately needs uh, a wide receiver necessarily, but obviously they, they had a receiver committed and they know, you know, the details and the plans and, you know, what they have for when kids are going to play and how they're going to play and how good they can be and all, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I look at, at, uh, at Ryan Pelham and say, okay, they missed there. They had Denmark flip. That's why I think, you know, a name to watch if you didn't tune in yesterday is, is Jeremiah McClellan, the wide receiver, yes. four-star, who uh, is looking at Ohio State as well as Oregon. And there's one other school in the mix, LSU, I think it is. He's got connections to LSU from his former team. Yeah, so, you know, that's obviously a big-time sort of player when you've got those, that, the, those schools in, in the mix of that caliber. But I just wonder if, you know, Oregon looking, looking ahead on the recruiting trail here isn't thinking, hey, okay, we would like to kind of – you know, re- replace that loss. Because right now they have Dylan Gresham, a, a four-star wide up, but their only other receiver, I believe, in the 2024 class. Uh, they've got Jordan Anderson as well, and then uh, a Jack Wrestler from, from modern day. But it seems like they're still keen on on getting another wide receiver commit. Does that, does that seem about right to you? I think they would like to get one, but it's got to be a dude. It's got to be a speed guy, like over the top, um, like Reservoir is a guy that's a possession guy, a really strong, powerful kid. Compliment pieces. If they can get that, yeah, they would jump on board. McClellan, I would be shocked if they didn't take because he could take the top off the defense. So depends on who it is. Otherwise, three still pretty good number. Yeah, and, and remember for, for all you Oregon fans thinking about like, oh, you know, what's the future at the receiver room? Gary Bryant has two years of eligibility left if, if memory serves. You still have Ashton Cozart in there who is a speedster from the 2023 class. Jerion Dickey's not on campus yet. Kyler Casper, I think, has got a, a lot of upside. So, you know, I'm just pointing out that I feel like the staff is prioritizing that position still. Yep. I don't feel like it's as big of a need for for the Ducks uh, necessarily. But, again, in the transfer portal era, Brian, as you well know, you always take talented kids. You always, uh, always take yeah. depth. Yeah, if you don't, you're just going to get bypassed. And Oregon's got a lot of talent, but in – with the portal in one year, a team that you didn't think had a chance of being better than you can flip that script really fast. You got to get as many good players as you can as fast as you can. Yeah, and that's the way the staff is uh, certainly progressing here. Finally, we end uh, today's recruiting episode with a, a mailbag question. And a reminder to all of you out there, mailbag is always open all summer, all year long. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions are available to all this from Autzen Zone on YouTube. Says, hey, Spence, I want to see if you think any of the current three-star commits we have in the 2024 class have a chance at a rating bump. I personally would like to see Wrestler, Brooks, and Moga get bumped up to four stars. I mean, when we all, uh, when all is said and done. Also, guy in particular who the Ducks are going after, uh, Dijon Riggs. I'd like to know Brian's thoughts on him as well as yours, and if there's uh, potential for a rating bump as well. Just kind of generally speaking, Brian, what 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 goes into that happening? Like, how much of a splash do you have to make 
to get a whole extra star next to your name, which really just inflates the recruiting class. Doesn't necessarily change the player that that you're getting. How many hours do you have? <laughs> we we at Locked On try to keep it in a twenty to thirty minute window, so we've got five minutes. We got five minutes. We can't do that. <laughs> like this is a very dirty conversation. There's a lot of strife around about what goes into rankings. And I honestly don't have time for that right now, but it's very subjective. It's the short answer. There's a, there are a couple of kids that are ranked like top 50 by everybody, but one service. And then they're like 200th by the other. Now, when that happens, it raises eye. I'm not going to leave a few of the names out, but it's just like, I know there's literally a couple of fan bases that have people that if they saw the guy that's responsible for this in public, it would not end well. Like it's that, it's that biggest strike. Like it's, it's ridiculous because fans could be fans, but it is odd. Um, the, the Luke Moga kid is the one I would personally like to see move up. He plays with a lot of guys that failed him, if you will, at dropping passes. Like his film is really good. And it's always odd when a kid like throws the ball, Kids go and they cut off the film. Well, that means the kid dropped the ball. <laughs> oh, jeez. His, his percentage was terrible. It's because he's not playing with enough guys. I know that's not very nice. There's a lot of moms out there probably going to send you hate mail to give to me. I don't care. It's still true. They, they weren't very good. So his film is hard to rate, but he's a freak athlete. He's a track kid. He could be your slot if you wanted him to be. And by the way, he plays quarterback. So that's the kid I would move up, but I, I get why they don't. So yeah. um, it, it's part of the process. So, man, this stuff is really hard to grade. Quarterback and O-line in particular are a nightmare because you're connected to so many other moving parts that you're not in control of. Yet I'm supposed to rate you. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think one, one, one general note that I've kind of observed as well is a star rating is generally indicative of, as you're talking about, what people can actually go off of information-wise. And that's generally your physical <laughs> traits, right? It's your oh, yeah, ability yeah. as well. But you can have, you know, a, a kid like Justin Flo, for instance, was perhaps not the most cerebral football player we've ever had, even before he got hurt. But he was an impactful one because of his physical traits. And that's what kind of garnered him, you know, a five-star rating, second highest rated recruit in, in Oregon football history. That's essentially what, you know, a lot of scouts or recruiting guys have to go off of. And, you know, recruiting is a big industry, right? Like there are a lot of analysts and scouts like yourself for, you know, uh, all the different services that rate players. But still it feels, Brian, like you are all stretched pretty thin compared to the number of high school athletes that are power five division one capable it's how kids fly under the radar right and it's i i think it's hard to know frankly you know you can talk yourself into i think any three-star kid having a four or five star caliber career right you could look back and you know say uh, mariota's film and look back in hindsight be like man how did we not know he was the greatest well you know his film is like solid in in high school nobody saw him being the best player in the history of of oregon football but that sort of stuff it's it's just it is an imperfect science. It's an imperfect science at the professional level where their scouting departments, you know, for the NFL draft are 10 times bigger than what you have at a college or university or what these recruiting services have. They have a bunch of scouts, a bunch of eyeballs going into it, and they can't get this. There are first round whiffs every single year. And my point, literally every year, my point is that this is all player evaluation is an imperfect science 
And I think that scouts and recruiting evaluators do a good job on the whole. You just have to understand there is no perfect way to evaluate recruits really at any position. 100%. The most important trait that I get phone calls about, what's he like off the field? Well, I mean, how much time do I really spend with that guy and the people around him? The idiot brigade that causes these kids problems oftentimes, I don't know anything about. And that's that's where these busts happen. You hear about spending sprees at 3 a.m. when they're drunk after they sign their first check in the NFL? It didn't have anything to do with his bench press. Nope. Nope. You know what I mean? That's that's right. I don't get to evaluate that stuff. I don't know the guy like that, but that's the most important part. It sucks. It's hard, man. Yeah. And and the the interview part of it there. I think that's even harder in college than it is in the NFL because you don't have as many kids, you know, who you're considering for a first, second, or third round pick who you probably want to interview when you're taking someone in the NFL draft. But in, you know, in college, like, I'm sure Dan Lanning gets FaceTime at some level or at some time with a lot of these recruits. But does he sit down and talk with each of them personally, get their life story, talk about their upbringing? And, like, no, that just doesn't. It just, it just doesn't happen because recruiting is, is is pretty wild like that. But Brian Smith helps us navigate these crazy, crazy waters every single week at FBScout underscore Florida on Twitter, our insider here at the Locked On Network. Brian, thank you as always. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a great weekend. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And go Ducks.